the Limestone Coasts. The Listener Exclusive. G'day, it's Ewan. Welcome to a brand new ep of the week that was, where we look back at what has happened in the news in the Limestone Coast. This week, Limestone Coasters, there's been some great news for the forestry industry. We're going to find out all the details soon. Police have been busy across the Limestone Coast. Jade Hill's going to drop by for a chat. And I have got a story from a little while ago now, but it's a story that is going to make you cry. It's about a family who raised a bucket load of money for the Leukemia Foundation. If that's not enough, we're going to take a look at what is happening this weekend. Some great stuff going on, including a magician coming to the Limestone Coast. It's all part of the podcast. Let's get things underway. $3 $3 million in grants is up for grabs to help develop forest and wood products industries in the Green Triangle. Researchers can apply for up to $500,000 to assist with projects through the Mount Gambier Centre of the National Institute for Forest Products Innovation. Minister for Primary Industries Claire Scriven is encouraging local companies and researchers to get involved. It's wonderful to have opened the next round of proposals for forestry research in our state. Uh, This is such an important industry to our region and to our South Australian economy and research underpins the development and growth of the industry going forward. The South Australian Forest Products Association has welcomed the money, saying increased research and development funding means the industry and workers can remain at the forefront of future industry innovation. Previous research projects in the region have focused on health and safety, improving industry productivity, carbon storage and fire management. The state and federal government have committed to $3 million for research to help develop forest and wood products industries in the Green Triangle. This is fantastic news. And I've got the CEO of the South Australian Forest Products Association on the line for a chat. Nathan Payne, good morning. Good morning and good morning to your listeners. Hey, Nathan, great news about this funding. How is it going to be spent and what are you guys going to try and find out? Oh, look, this really is great news, as you've said. Um, You know, I mean, just in terms of funding, you know, the the industry, the forest industries uh, and the governments have have undertaken a lot of research and development over the years through the National Institute of Forest Products Innovation, um, uh, the hub based in Mount Gambier, uh, we've got the Green Triangle Forest Industry Hub as well. As an industry and with governments, we do do a lot of research. Um, the great news about this $3 million is it's actually on top of the $12.5 million, uh, that the state government has uh, has committed to the industry. Uh, they committed that during the election. So this really does give security um, uh, to the researchers uh, and, and really, you know, give confidence to the industry that there will be research and development uh, going on for many years. So, what are you guys uh, and girls? I suppose what are you what are you looking at in in terms of research, and what would you like to to see blue sky type of thing brought to market? Yeah, look, I mean, I guess from an industry perspective, uh, there's a multitude of different kind of research threads. Of course, we've got the research threads around people and making sure that our 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 workers uh, uh, go to work and go home safe. Uh, at the end of the day, and we've got research underway at the moment around wearable technology to help not just those who are in the forest, but also those that are in the mills. This is a really important step. But you know, as an industry overall, what we're trying to do, I guess, is always try and grow trees uh, faster and straighter and with less limbs that create the knots so that we can create more usable uh, uh, fibre. Um, so the work of uh, uh, Tony McRae and the Tree Breeders 
association the mount you know that's a big part of uh, their piece of work um, you know all of these really do translate to uh, these projects translate to you know making our workforce uh, uh, workplace safer uh, and uh, making our industry more productive and uh, Nathan I've got to ask a question I mean what are your thoughts on on forestry, especially in the limestone coast at the moment? Um, forestry has, has has seen a resurgence of late, and it really is a great industry to be in at the moment. Oh, look, without a doubt. I mean, what, one of the one of the key pieces of research uh, already released uh, this year shows that the industry has actually grown from about eighteen thousand direct and indirect jobs to over twenty one thousand. Uh, we see. Yeah, I think we've seen roughly about half a billion dollars worth of new private investment uh, in growth, whether that's uh, in, in new plant and equipment, whether that's Timberlink CLT, GLT plant, mm. Alps's pellet facility, uh, SE Pines uh, kiln uh, facility, um, uh, and, and many, many, many others. I mean, this really is a growing industry um, and it will continue to grow uh, in the southeast, not not just from an economic perspective, but in terms of providing more jobs, um, and, and most importantly, I think, creating a cleaner and greener future for for all Australians, as our trees, you know, sequester carbon from the atmosphere and lock it up uh, in long-term wood products. Nathan, it's definitely going to be something that we're going to be talking about over the course of the next twelve months. I can guarantee it, as uh, as people start to focus on carbon sequestration. Uh, Nathan, it's been great to talk to you this morning. It is fantastic that you've got this extra funding uh, on top of the 12 million, as you say, 15 million in research. Uh, cannot wait to see what happens, what you guys look at, and of course, see what develops in the future of the forestry industry and the Limestone Coast. Thanks for having a chat this morning. No, thank you. Thank you. It's a great industry and great to be able to talk about it. A Mount Gambia man has been charged with theft and assault. Police attended a unit complex where they found a stolen trailer, motorcycle and camping fridge before arresting the 29-year-old occupant. They say further inquiries revealed the same man was wanted in connection with an alleged aggravated assault in Adelaide last month where he allegedly threatened retail workers with a hammer. He's been bailed to front court in late November. Meanwhile, a man has died on the job at a Pathway winery. Police were called to the scene on Friday afternoon. The 72-year-old's death is not suspicious. A report is being prepared for the coroner, while Safe Work SA has been advised of the situation. Catching up with policing news, Jade Hill joins me from SAPOL. Jade, good morning. Good morning, Ewan. How are you? You're good. Jade, some good news stories from a policing point of view in the Limestone Coast over the last week. What can you tell me? Yeah, well, for a start, I want to congratulate our police officers. They've been doing a marvellous job and they've been quite busy, uh, but they've had some really good outcomes of late. So firstly, um, a man was arrested for theft and assault. So Mount Gambier Police have arrested a man following the theft of a trailer and two motorcycles and a fridge. So sometime between 8pm on Friday the 7th of October and 11am the following day, a trailer and two motorcycles and a camping fridge were stolen from the driveway of a house in Mount Gambier. Following some really good police work and investigations, police attended at a unit complex in Mount Gambia and located the stolen trailer, one of the motorcycles and the camping fridge. The occupant, a 29-year-old local man, was charged with theft. Further inquiries revealed the same man was wanted in connection with an alleged aggravated assault in Adelaide the previous month, so police have investigated that as well. Um, that was involving a CBD sports store um, where... The alarms were activated and um, the man threatened staff with a hammer before leaving. 
So he was further charged with aggravated assault and has been bailed to appear in the Mount Gambier Magistrates Court on the 22nd of November. Police are still currently looking for one of the stolen motorcycles, which is a red 2007 Honda CRS 450X. The registration of that motorbike is Y for Yankee, Z for Zulu, O for Oscar, and 528. And anyone who spots that motorcycle or has any information about its whereabouts is asked to call Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000 or go online to crimestoppers.com.au. And all of the other recovered property was fortunately returned to the owner. Which is fantastic. Now, Jay, yeah. one of the other things, uh, there's been some drugs and weapons uh, seized by police. Yeah, this is a really good um, collaboration with Victoria Police, actually. So police have located drugs and firearms during a traffic stop in Mount Gambier. In the early hours of Thursday morning on the 6th of October, police received information from Hamilton Police in Victoria regarding a Holden Captiva speeding towards the South Australian border. Victoria Police had suspected the car had been travelling in convoy with another vehicle which they had stopped and located drugs and weapons in. Mount Gambier Patrol saw the vehicle in Orr Street just before 3am and stopped the driver. The vehicle was subsequently searched and police located 62 grams of a crystalline substance suspected to be methamphetamine, an unregistered prescribed firearm and a handheld taser. So the driver, a 49-year-old man from Mount Gambier, was arrested for trafficking in a controlled drug, possessing a prescribed firearm and possessing a dangerous article. Police searched the man's home and located another quantity of meth, what's suspected to be methamphetamine, numerous other items to suggest trafficking in a controlled drug and small, a small amount of cannabis and two unregistered gel blaster firearms. So as a result of all of the investigation, police arrested a second man, a 37-year-old from Mount Gambia, and charged him with trafficking in a controlled drug and possessing an unregistered firearm also. So both men were refused bail and appeared in the Mount Gambia Magistrates Court where they were remanded in custody. So just a bit of information you and about gel blasters. If you have a gel blaster, you have a firearm. So gel blasters are subject to the same licensing, registration and security conditions as other firearms in South Australia. So any person not licensed to have a gel blaster or any person with a gel blaster that is not registered can surrender it to police or a participating licensed firearms dealer as part of the firearms amnesty. And for the opportunities to surrender or to obtain authorisation for the gel blaster, people can go to the police, SA Police website, services-events and events, and then firearms and weapons. Hey, Jade, always great to talk to you. We'll catch up soon. We'll talk more about what's going on policing-wise in the Limestone Coast. Thanks for having me. Stay safe. One local family's raised almost 16 grand for the Leukaemia Foundation in honour of their late father and husband. The Supplies family putting in the huge effort to remember their father and husband, Jeff. Wife Heathers told the Border Watch she wants more people to have a better understanding of the cancer, including that it can have no symptoms. The Leukaemia Foundation have had a bucket load of money raised from right here in the Limestone Coast. And I want to tell you the story. Polly joins me on the line for a chat. Polly, good morning. How are you going? Yeah, good. Polly, $16,000 you have raised for the Leukaemia Foundation. How did that come about? Well, you know, when we when Jeff we found out Jeff got sick, we decided that um, we the Lacombe Foundation just couldn't have done enough for us, um, especially being new to cancer. We'd never had it touch us before, mm. so we decided what better way to give back than to do light the night in in honour of Jeff, but also to say thank you to the Lacombe Foundation and to help other families. Polly. Jeff was your hubby. Would you mind telling us 
the story of his leukemia journey? Yep, not a problem. Um, so we moved from Tasmania. Um, we were born and bred in Tasmania and we moved over here to be closer to our daughter who lives in Mount Gambia, her husband and grandkids. And um, when COVID hit, so we moved over here in 2020. Mm. When we got here, Jeff went to the doctor. How you, What you normally do when you move to a different state, you go and you get a GP. And he went to the doctor and the doctor found... Um, an abnormality in his blood. So the doctor said, look, you need to see a haematologist. So the only haematologist we could get to see was one in Portland. So we made an appointment, but we couldn't get to see a haematologist till the following year, which was 2021, mm. um, May 2021. So Jeff went in August 20 to see the doctor, and it was May 2021 when he could see a haematologist. So we went there and she said, oh, Yes, there is an abnormality in your blood, but it's slow moving. She said, come back, I'll see you in six months. Um, Jeff never made six months. Um, so in August last year, Jeff started feeling unwell in the throat. He had no other symptoms, just started feeling unwell in the throat, and we thought, oh, he's got tonsillitis. So Jeff went to the doctor, and they put him on some antibiotics. They never worked. So we went back and they put him on another lot and they still never worked. So this one Sunday, Jeff just took himself down to Mount Gambia Hospital and um, because of COVID, I couldn't go in with him. So he went in on his own and then he rang me later and said, look, they're keeping me in. They think I might have pneumonia. And so I went down later, took the things in he needed. Then the following Sunday, which was Father's Day, Jeff um, rang me and said, you need to come in. The doctor needs to see you and my daughter Casey. So we went in and we got told that Jeff had cancer. And it was just out of the blue. It was just a, a total shock. Um, then they turned around and said, we need to fly him to Adelaide, to Flinders, um, because we need to check on some other things. So they carefully Jeff up to Adelaide and they'd done a gascoscopy on him up there and found out that he had the tumour the size of a fist in his nose and throat. Wow. So they said he has blood cancer um, and um, he has, like, a large B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then they said, we're going to have to start chemo straight away. And they, they said, but we've got to give him the hard stuff because it's progressed very quickly. They couldn't do any more on Jeff because he got very, very sick. Um, it took a toll on him and he was only 61. Well, so while we was up there, the Leukemia Foundation put us up. They rang us when we first got there and said, look, we have a, um, a unit for you. Um, as soon as you finish at the hospital, come back to the unit um, and we'll look after you. And they did, you know, they couldn't have done enough for us and made it so much easier for us to not have to worry about finding somewhere. Then... The last time we went back up, we got told that Jeff was terminal, um, that he had um, two and a half short weeks to live. So Jeff wanted to come home. So we brought him back to Mount Gambier and I nursed him till he passed away. Polly, that is that is harrowing. How do you how do you move on from something like that? It's it's very hard. It's very very hard. But you know. Um, it is what it is. There's not much you can do about it. I was just 
just disappointed in the I mean don't get me wrong doctors are fantastic but I think that the, there could have been more done with the blood tests to to pick this up and monitor it mm. um it's it, it was obviously a fast-moving thing and it just wasn't... If it was monitored, it, they probably could have got to it a little bit quicker and they could have probably hit him quicker with chemo and slowed it down a lot. But um, it didn't, but there's no point in dwelling on that. I finally realised there's no point in dwelling on that. Mm. But Jeff, he was a... Oh, he was a, an absolute happy-go-lucky man. He was... <laughs> look, he made friends... We'd, we'd been living here um, just before he passed away. We'd been living here in the new home we bought um, for a year. And, you know, Jeff had already met the neighbours. <laughs> he got so friendly with everybody. He, he walked because it was only a stone throw from the hospital. So he'd walk to the hospital and back and he'd done swimming. He was, apart from that, he had nothing. He was a healthy man. Mm. He had diabetes and he had uh, um, ulcerative colitis. But... He was healthy, mm. and it just shows that you, if you don't, if something as simple as a a throat, as a sore throat, is going to take you, you just need to get it checked. Even if you think that it's nothing, you should just go and get it checked anyway, just to make sure, because you just don't know. And Polly, with the Leukemia Foundation and, and all the help that they gave you, I mean, how... How was it possible for you guys to raise sixteen thousand dollars? Because that is that is a remarkable achievement um, to to assist an organisation who helped you out. So what we did is um, I said to the kids when we was in um, the Leukemia Foundation when Jeff was going through chemo, they we'd left to come back to Mount Gambier because Jeff wanted to come back and have a break. They they were doing a lot the night up there that year, but we didn't do it that year. So when it started coming around this year and, and when even when Jeff passed away the Leukemia Foundation were ringing us and constantly keeping in touch with us and making sure that we were all right and that we needed counselling if we needed counselling they were there to listen and they were constantly doing that with all of us so then I said to the, the kids I said right I'm going to do light the night do you want to do light the night with me and they said yes we do I registered and then I decided to call us Jeff's number ones <laughs> because we were his number ones. So I have two sons in, in Melbourne and the daughter that lives here, one of the sons um, works for, um, which is Trent, he works for um, John Holland in Melbourne. The, he raised a lot of money and the, can't thank all them down there enough. He done an amazing job. And then Donald, he, he works for a software company down there. He, he got online and he, he done the same. We just put our um, things up and then I don't um, I did the same here and then Casey did as well. Um, and that's how we raised the money. Um, we just we just put called ourselves Jeff's number ones and, and we just people just donated through the, the website. Polly, I am I am blown away by the amount of money that you've been able to raise for the Leukemia Foundation. I think it is a, a wonderful legacy to to what was, even from what I know, an amazing legacy that Jeff left you guys. Um, and I am I am truly humbled that I get to tell a little bit of yours and Jeff's story this morning. 
um, just chatting to you. It's It's been amazing to talk. Yeah, no, look, we, we're trying to keep, as much as we can, we're trying to keep Jeff's legacy alive because he was yeah, he was a, an absolutely amazing father amazing husband and grandfather i mean he's got um four beautiful grandchildren that um at, you know we're still trying to, to trying to get them around the fact that you know they won't see their grandfather anymore but and it's hard when they're that young they don't understand like we do mm. But, you know, you do what you have to. And they were all involved. We got T-shirts printed <laughs> with just number ones on them. And the kids, we done it for the kids as well because we wanted to involve them. And they just loved it. And then the light the night, we done light the night here. Um, and my sister and brother-in-law were here. Um, 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 Casey's father-in-law, Greg, was here. Um, and it was just, yeah, we the boys come up from Melbourne and, we all decided we'd do it, and then we got online and seen the um, the um, thing that was online for Light the Night, and yeah, it was it was a family affair. So yeah, it was good. Polly, fantastic to be able to talk to you this morning, and to to talk a bit about Jeff's journey. Thank you so much. I hope that you and I get the chance to talk again in the future. Yeah, look, that'd be lovely. Thank you. What. An incredible story, and I just want to thank Polly for telling her story to you and I this morning. Now, as we lead into the weekend, uh, a magician is about to head into town, and he is going to enthrall audiences. The bloke I'm talking about is Constantino. He joins me for a chat. G'day, Cos. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Cos. You have had such an incredible journey since about 2011, I reckon, when you burst onto our television screens. How did you get into magic? I started when I was 12 years old with a little book on the library. There was no Google. There was no YouTube. You had to teach yourself magic. Um, that's what I did. I think that was a wonderful thing because you had to kind of dissect the illusion or the trick and then add or project your own personality into it. So a lot of experimenting. And then... I got on Australia's Got Talent 15 years after I had done all the, I used to do basically two school shows a day, 10 shows a week for 10 years. And then I did shopping centers and then cruise ships. And I started my own theater show because no one would, um, man, no one would look after me. No one would manage me. No one would, no one would get behind me. So I had to do all these shows myself. And I went on Australia's Got Talent in 2011 after basically putting my own productions together and, and hiring people and crew and staff and, Australia's Got Talent was kind of a fuel injection for me. And, um, of course, I had 15 years behind me of actually legitimately doing what people go on that show to do. And I used it as a great platform to kind of skyrocket it. And because your, your magic is dangerous, or at least it looks dangerous to those of us that are watching. I mean, how much danger is involved? Look, the, the illusions, the escapes are, are very, very different in their um, what they are. We draw a line in the sand. So the illusions are make-believe. People are levitating. They're disappearing and reappearing. They're being sawn in half. It's all very visual. It's like watching a great Marvel film, all specky. Um, <laughs> so that, that is what it is, and that's make-believe. The escapes are real. I'm really holding my breath. I'm really picking the locks. I'm really hanging upside down. It's not a hologram. You know, there's really spikes underneath me. That stuff is all real. And the insurance that's attached to it is very real too. It would be, it'd be an injustice to me to pay all this insurance and then the, the escapes aren't real. How unfair is that? 
Um, who's being hoodwinked? <laughs> Does it scare you doing stuff like that? Uh, it's, uh, look, there's a there's a huge training process that goes into it. I, you know, I train for one escape about six months. And you're, you're in uncharted territory because all the escapes I do are my own creations. They're not, you know, I, I just think them up in my head. And then I, I start to try and figure out how can we actually do this. And in that process, things do go wrong because you're – you're experimenting um but then by the time it hits the stage you know you know what the backup plans are like if you're going into a tank of water hanging upside down from burning ropes you, you kind of know how to work with it at that particular point and and, and it's um it, it is dangerous it's like someone walking you know it's like someone jumping out of an airplane with a parachute i mean inherently that's quite dangerous you might say oh they've got a parachute yeah i know but sometimes you know we know that or or whatever it may be you know no one aims to to no, no one's got a death wish that's what i'm trying to get at but things can go wrong a little bit of rust in a little lock bumping my head when i'm trying to hold my breath not feeling well or maybe the, maybe you know your stomach is is not right and yet you're jumping in a tank or jumping in a tank upside down you know mm, it's not it's not it's not like singing a song live on stage and i'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to you know take away from a singer or a dancer you know you you, you know if you if, like, for example, if a dancer trips, they could really do damage to their ankle. If I trip, you know, I end up in the emergency room. Cousin Tina, you're going to be here two shows this weekend in Mangambia. I mean, deception is what the tour is called. How do you come up with a concept to, to keep people entertained for 90 minutes on stage? Uh, the show is... That's actually a good question, because when you think about it, you might think, oh, it's like a variety show. Like, could you watch a juggler for 90 minutes? Oh, my gosh. See, the interesting thing about magic, it crosses so many genres, or at least our show does. So you've got the big escapes, which are death-defying, which, you know, you're literally sitting on the edge of your seat. If you've seen them on TV, you go, oh, wow. When you see them live and you feel the audience around you, the audience is gasping, oh, no, surely not. How? You really get caught up into it. You get really drawn into it, um, much more than if you're watching it on TV or if you're watching a, a film. Like, in a film, you kind of know everything's okay. When you're, when you're seeing it live, you kind of go, oh, my God, it could go wrong. It's kind of an interesting um, dynamic that happens there. So you've got the escapes, you've got the, the illusions, you've got close-up magic where I invite people up on stage and I borrow objects. There's a lot of humour. We bring in a semi-trailer, we strip out the theatre, we have our own costumes, our own lighting, our own sets. And really, the 90 minutes goes very quickly because it's it's got humour, it's got romance, it's got drama, it's got all this audience interaction. There's I, I, I'm mind-reading, I, 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 well, seemingly mind-reading. If I could do it for real, I wouldn't be here. I would have won the lottery already. <laughs> You're creating these illusions, and it's it's um, and I'm honest about it. You can see how honest I am about it. You know, if I could really read mind, the first thing I'd do is win the lottery. Cause Saturday at the Sir Robert Hopman Theatre, people can still get tickets to go along and see what is going to be an absolutely mind blowing show. Thanks for joining us this morning, mate. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I cannot wait to see everybody at the show. I'm excited. Love So Coasters, that was the week that was. We're leading into a huge weekend. Constantino is going to be here in town tomorrow night and Sunday. This weekend, Kunawara Cabaret celebrations continue. The Narracourt show is taking place and there's speed cheering going on Friday night in the Limestone Coast. And uh, over the course of the weekend, Giltwood Festival is taking place in Millicent. There is something for everybody to do this weekend. Make sure you join me next week for the Limestone Coast week that was. Have a great weekend. Listener.